0: Jamie messaged me yesterday. She says, what yeah. are you up to? And I said, you know, researching a 14th century prophecy. And then I got a what?
1: <laughs> this is the kind of stuff she has to be used to by now. Yes. I mean, she is married to you Poor and thing. you do this kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> I do this kind of stuff. For fun
1: and for profit.
0: <laughs> yeah, profit. Um,
1: I walked right into that. <laughs> Reported in our Nerd Haven studios. This is Pop Medieval, with your hosts Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina Mac. discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And Now back to your podcast.
0: What, Nina? What, Doc? Well, today is, of course, the last day of our season before we go on our traditional summer hiatus. Traditional being we've done it what two years now.
1: That is, yeah, two seasons. We've yes. got uh, one more in the bag.
0: Yes. And so today I wanted to wrap up this season by talking about a prophecy that might occur this year (laughs) so that if it does happen, our listeners can say we heard it first on Pop Medieval.
1: This is a new prophecy. When you brought this to my attention, I thought this was a great idea for a podcast because I had never heard of it. And if I never heard of it, that means no one else has ever heard of it. So let us educate our listeners.
0: (laughs) Okay, so before we start talking about this, I should say that although this is a, among a certain population, this is a widespread believed prophecy. I went looking for a medieval source for it. I could find no medieval source for it there were a lot of websites that were very talked about crystals and the phase of Jupiter's in a lot of astrology and and that kind of stuff that had this in it. So I thought, well, it must have an origin in popular culture somewhere. I couldn't find that origin either. So... I don't actually know where this comes from. It just kind of exists out there in the ether of the internet. There was some indication that it might have come out of a Dan Brown book, but I went looking for that and I couldn't find that either.
1: So there's a lot of woo-woo and there's no telling where this came from, whether this is an actual medieval story or whether this is just made up.
0: Yes. Now, in one place, I found something that claimed that it was a translation from a journal from the 14th century, which uh, we'll talk about later, which it just linked to an image with no shelf mark, which is the way we would know when the manuscript comes from. Nothing indicating anything about it. I can't even tell you if the image was what is on there because I also don't speak uh, French, uh, which is part of this. And so Mm -hmm. I've, I've laid out all of the... Hey guys there, let's keep this one in perspective. Uh, and Mm -hmm. that is the prophecy of the return of the last Cathar perfect, the last Cathar perfect. And the reason this is important this year is the last Cathar perfect died in 1321 in the fall of 1321, Mm -hmm. he died. And according to internet lore, Uh, He said, we shall return in 700 years when the laurel turns green again. And I might only be an English professor, but I can count 700 from 1321 (laughs) brings us to 2021.
1: And also the last Cathar Perfect sounds just like a science fiction novel. Yes. So I'm on board. I want to see this movie come out
0: this year. I think there might actually be a book called The Last Perfect or... The Cathar, per- or something like that. So anyway, so this is a prophecy supposedly made 700 years ago, maybe actually made 700 years ago. I can't confirm that, but which will finally come to fruition this year. So...
1: When the laurel turns green.
0: Yes. If the last Cathar perfect returns this year, you heard it here first, and we warned you Or, I guess not warned. It's not a bad thing, I suppose, but uh, this is going to happen. So, do you have any idea what a Cathar is?
1: I have no idea what a Cathar is. I know what perfect means, but I don't know what it means in this context.
0: Okay, so, I'll explain. So, Cathars are sometimes called Albigensians, also, based on... No clue. Yeah, yeah, um... (laughs) And it was a heresy that was really big, especially like in, say, southern France in the 12th, 13th century around that time. It was a really big heresy, and it was declared a heresy back in the 12th century. And probably the biggest heretical thing about them was that it rejected the Trinity. It was a dualistic religion. Mm-hmm. They believed that there was a god of good and a god of evil, and the god of good was spirit, And the God of evil was matter or the material world. This is very similar to the kind of Manichaean movement that very famously St. Augustine of Hippo had come out of. And because of this, Jesus, they believed, was an emissary of the God of good. But because Mm -hmm. matter or flesh is evil, that means that Jesus could not have been flesh. So he was just a spirit who appeared to be who appeared to be matter. And of course, the God of evil would be Satan.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And because they're gone, some of the things I'm telling you, we have to take a little bit with a grain of salt. But actually, it's a smaller grain of salt than you would normally have because they were around for so long and were so popular in one area. We actually do even know about different strains of Catharism, but it's not necessary to get into that. And so uh, they didn't have priests. Instead, they had basically two classes of of people. Most people would be called credentes. Uh, This is their normal Catherine. They would live in the world. They were part of society. They would get married. They would have families, etc. But then they also had the perfecti. Or actually, women could be perfecti. It would be perfecta. They were kind of more like the priestly group. um, And they most famously did something... There was a kind of last rite called the Consolatumentum. It was a kind of last rite, and it had to be given by a perfecti, one of the perfects, basically. Mm -hmm. They believed in reincarnation and that you would be reincarnated, I think, seven times. So this last part I'm not certain about because time I should have spent researching this. I instead was trying to run down the origin of this idea. I think every time you reincarnate, you're coming closer to perfection. I think perfects are supposed to be those in the last state, the last... Reincarnation—they're seventh, so they've already—they're already the perfect that they're supposed to be. But I don't know that that's the case. Take that with a grain of salt. That might be something yeah. that someone's an expert on Cathars.
1: Very Eastern, very Buddhist. In,
0: yeah, except these guys that, are believe, in southern yeah. France and uh, a, little, yeah. a little bit in northern Italy. Um, they were totally vegan uh except for fish, and then they would eat fish because Jesus not just obviously ate fish and was involved with the fishing industry. Uh, But also he, when he fed the (laughs) multitudes, he did these couple miracles where he served fish. And so they were like, well, we can't be against fish. So we're totally vegan except fish, which I, I don't know, maybe they're kind of vegetable or something in in their view.
1: Pescatarian-ish, yeah.
0: Yes. So these Cathars were running around. They're really well established in some parts of Europe. But as they got to be more and more prominent, I suppose, the Catholic Church, which had, Normally, I don't like to say the Catholic Church, unless I'm talking about versus the Orthodox Church. But in this case, these guys would have not considered themselves part of that church. They were definitely uh, anti-Catholic. Really, in the 12th century, they were like, this is a heresy. But finally, it got bad enough that Pope Innocent III started a crusade called the Albigensian Crusade. That's why they're sometimes called Albigensians. And it ran Mm -hmm. from 1209 until 1229, uh, which would be 20 years. And it was super bloody was very, very brutal. Lots of people killed, uh, men, women, and children. People burned at the stake. Everything you might think of in a really, really nasty crusade, uh, this was one of them. And that technically ended in 1229, the crusade did, but actually the pursuit of them continued in a non-crusady, less official manner. Uh, for more than a century later, Oh, by the way, there's a famous line which you might have heard. This is usually the only thing that people have heard, which is uh, there's a papal legate at the beginning who before a, a slaughter in one city, he very famously said, kill them for God will know those who are his. And so even when I was in high school, yeah. I remember hearing the phrase, kill them all, let God sort them out. I think that might have been in the movie yeah. Red Dawn or something. And that's the, the origin of that.
1: <laughs> I see, yeah.
0: Engineer Mike is making a face like maybe it wasn't in Red Dawn. But it feels to me like it like it was at least in one of those 80s action movies.
1: Engineer Mike confirmed that was in Red Dawn. There we go. <laughs> the documentary Red Dawn.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, of course it was a documentary. It's how I lived my life when God. I was in high school. It was very, very bloody and very, very brutal. And they did succeed in putting them down. But it wasn't until 1321 that there was only one remaining Cathar prefect. And really, since you need a prefect... To do this right, the only right they have, they didn't have any of the other sacraments, right? The only right they have, the consulatumentum, you know, I guess you couldn't exactly maybe reincarnate or something. Like that was basically functionally the end of of it. And so sometime in fall of 1321, he was caught and burned at the stake. And apparently, I say apparently because I can't find any source, for this, mm-hmm. we shall return in 700 years when the Laurel turns green again. Uh, and so this guy, Guillaume Belebeste, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, but like I said, I don't know French. It's not one of my languages. He was the last one, and this is what he said. And so presumably he will be reincarnated this year. So he's the last perfect. He's also, by the way, I should point out, by the end, when you're down to the last Cather perfect, it's kind of slim pickings. For who you can have. And so yeah. he doesn't appear to have been a particularly, particularly good perfect. So, for example, they're supposed to have been celibate. He got his lover pregnant and then apparently tried to cover it up by getting someone else to marry her. And then when the guy married her, very quickly dissolved the marriage. So that then they gets like, oh, she must have gotten pregnant by this other guy when they were married. Mm-hmm. He was a uh, complicated figure. But this year he is supposed to come back presumably in the fall. And so if someone out there finds a baby who's born this year uh, who starts spouting off about dualism and complaining to their parents that they only want to eat fish and no other uh, no other meats, uh, then that might be the last Cathar perfect.
1: So those are the signs. It's just, you know, someone who does not want to eat meat and, you know, dualism. Those are the only signs of... Uh...
0: I guess eschewing all other... Uh, really yeah. hating Roman Catholics, uh, eschewing okay, all there's other, a lot of yes, people burning well at the stake would be another element uh, that mm-hmm. you could tell. Not liking any of the other sacraments. That would be another big thing. Oh, they translated mm-hmm. and preach in the vernacular. So not speaking Latin. That would be another sign, I suppose. Uh, Mm -hmm. Most babies these days don't speak Latin. So that gives us that doesn't narrow it down a lot. Uh, But yeah, yeah, there there are, there aren't that many signs, but the last Cathar Perfect is supposed to, well, to return this year. And I assume it just says return the prophecy, but since they believe in reincarnation, I assume it means reincarnate, but I don't know, maybe he'll come back in a, in an adult form and say, you thought you got me, but here I am.
1: I feel awful that he and his people were wiped out by a terrible, awful, bloody crusade. But, I mean, that they've got to be a little bit more specific about how we'll know that a new prophet will come back. I mean, we can't just know that when the laurel turns green and a baby will be born. We're obviously not going to know until that child has grown a little bit. I mean, sure, 2021 is 700 years after the fact, but we're not going to know until this child is at least walking and talking. Or maybe has at least graduated college <laughs> with a <laughs> degree in philosophy. <laughs>
0: he just said return he didn't say reincarnate so even though they did believe in reincarnation maybe he's going to return bodily maybe he's going to pop out of the flames again and uh, then then we'll know he'll give interviews
1: yeah
0: uh, that kind of thing
1: and a celibate you said celibate right okay well yes he
0: has to be celibate so if someone who claims to be the last Cathar perfect starts hitting on you actually but he was not he was not as celibate as he was supposed to be so
1: okay one way to kill your movement is to be celibate I mean look at the shakers You got to propagate. But
0: celibacy is also why they had credentes who were not celibate, who were able to, Mm -hmm. they married and they had children and made more cathars. So it was just the perfecti and perfecti who were celibate, or at least were supposed to be celibate.
1: Could you enter the movement and become a perfecta or perfecti?
0: Yes. In fact, it appears that uh, most perfecti became perfecti when they were older. So it was actually pretty common for perfecti to have had children before it seems more similar to the way that monastic movements sometimes worked where they would raise their family and then later on take vows to become a monk or in this case to become a perfecti
1: yeah well i hate to sound cynical but i feel like this is not going to happen the prophecy of the last cathar prefect is perfect perfect yes it's very hard not to say
0: prefect yeah
1: it is so hard i keep wanting to say prefect the last cathar Perfect is not going to happen. I have evidence because I have an entire list of failed prophecies. Oh, let's hear them. Let's hear
0: these failed prophecies.
1: I think the most obvious is the 2012 Mayan prophecy. And I know you have a mountain of evidence and knowledge to back me up on that, given your history.
0: Yes. So those of you who are too young to remember might not know that in 2012... Uh, The media widely reported that the world was supposed to end, according to the Maya calendar. The Maya calendar, that was the end of time. There were all sorts of jokes uh, about it at that time. I remember I'd been teaching about the Popol Vuh, which is the great Maya epic, and I told students that I was going to have an end-of-the-world party in 2011, which I, in fact, did not have. Uh, I was too busy celebrating Christmas with my family. (laughs) (laughs) So I did not actually do that. My apologies. But the world also did not end, so I think I can be excused. The truth is, the way the Maya thought about time was cyclical, not linear. And it wouldn't have been the end of the world. It would have been the end of this creation cycle. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Even the way it was understood, I would say, in popular culture, wasn't exactly right. So it also doesn't appear a new creation cycle started in 2012 either. So uh, I suppose, regardless... And it wasn't exactly a prophecy. It was just the calendar comes to an end, and that's the end of it.
1: That's a shame because uh, I don't know about you, but the past decade's been kind of trash, if you ask me. But that's just me. And I wanted to bring up a gentleman named Harold Camping. Uh, do you remember Harold Camping? I do.
0: I barely remember. Barely remember Harold okay. Camping, yes.
1: Harold Camping was an evangelical preacher for radio who in 2011 said that the end of the world was supposed to happen on 1st May 21st. There was a lot of buzz and a lot of chatter and especially in the skeptic community who said, okay, this guy is a little nuts and he was a very elderly man. And he had done this before. He had done this first in 1994. I remember in leading up to the supposed end of the world in May of 2011, uh, there were a lot of invites going out to end of the world parties, as you mentioned. I, mm-hmm. Again, you said you were going to have one. Uh, I didn't get my invite. I'm still upset with you about that. We
0: can always have a last Cathar perfect party. That's we can. we can do, yes.
1: I don't know when the laurel is going to turn green, though. I suppose in the fall, when does laurel turn green?
0: I don't know. The fall was when he we don't, I don't I couldn't come up with even a month, but the fall was when he was burned at the stake. So
1: It seems yeah, it seems like a question for Lorena McKenna. I think she would know when laurel turns green. <laughs> um anyway, in 2011, I, I got an invite from someone on campus and whose name I can't remember and again, whose name I probably if I did remember, I won't mention. He threw it an orgy or he was going to throw an orgy, and it started off as a joke. He kept inviting more and more people to it, and it looked like he was actually going to have an orgy. And I got an invite, and I accepted. I wasn't going to go because, you know, too many thank you notes to write. Um, anyway, this date came May 21st, 2011, and, of course, the world did not end. So Harold Camping had to, of course, recalculate, And he said, no, my mistake. It's actually going to be on October 21st, 2011. And that day came and went with very little fanfare. In fact, no orgy invitations came out. Again, no end of the world. And uh, poor Harold Camping. I believe he had a stroke in between the two dates. And then he passed away uh, in 2013. Mm. So it may have not been the end of the world for us, but it was the end of the world for him at some point, sadly enough.
0: So hold on. Since I continue to be a professor at this institution... I probably shouldn't know, but I need to know yeah. anyway. Though you did not go, to your knowledge, did said orgy ever take place?
1: If it happened on our campus, probably.
0: Okay, well, there we go. But it's just a probably. Uh, you can't confirm that.
1: I can't confirm, but, you know. if it did, Again, if it happened on our campus, yeah, you know, because everyone gets away with everything.
0: There. I was not invited, so.
1: Oh, well, that's a shame. You should have made a guest appearance. <laughs> Done a lap, you know.
0: Well, I could have shown up and just handed out Fs to everyone, and uh, I'll, oh, I'll no. let i let everyone else. You uh, could have handed out Fs, so, all right. Yes.
1: <laughs> Finally, the last two failed prophecies, of course, are Prophecy Two and Three, starring Great. Christopher Walken. Yes. You know, I mean, you got to cash a check. but And
0: Eric Roberts, too, I believe. Isn't he in all those?
1: I think he is, too. Wow. Yeah. Man, character actors. The get around. (laughs) Should we get into some recommendations?
0: Yes. Let's get into recommendations. So, because we're going on our summer hiatus, and I know waiting for us to return at the end of the summer. Our readers or listeners, I suppose, will be just weeping tears. I have some summer reading recommendations. And these summer reading recommendations are not super specialized because I often get questions from people who really are not experts in medieval literature and they want to know where to start. And so I have three texts that are all, I think, pretty light readings. They're not very hard to read. The three of them are all relatively long, but you can stop easily in the middle of them and just pick up again. And so they're great beach reading, and you can really use them through the whole summer. And so the first one would be The Thousand and One Nights, sometimes called Arabian Nights. Nice, yes. Yes, and uh, that is, whenever I teach it, that's always a favorite among my students it's mostly medieval stories. There, there's a whole bunch of different stories, not a thousand of them. Uh, I think like 300 <laughs> some odd, I think, is the number. Yeah. Uh, but a lot, of, a lot of stories. And it's just a fun thing to start reading through and to work your way through. Uh, have a bookmark and just pick up. Because each section of story is relatively short, it's ideal for this kind of light summer reading situation. And, of course, that's got all of our... Ali Baba and the 40 Thieves and Aladdin and Sinbad tales and all those wonderful stories that you're accustomed to. The next one is, I would suggest, is not technically medieval. It's medievalist. And it is a 7th, yeah, 17th century book called Don Quixote. And that is definitely the modern era. But Don Quixote is, he's a modern person who's become very enamored with medieval storytelling, his medieval stories. And so his medieval stories... Uh, have sort of taken over his mind it's really long with it's very lots of little episodes of fun things you can just read a little bit and stop and read a little bit and stop and there are actually two books and by the time you get to the second book it gets very meta and so it's interesting about don quixote is it begins as a kind of critique of the medieval world and saying oh basically if you believe all this medieval stuff, you're crazy like Don Quixote. But by the time you get to the end, I feel like it gets so met it all folds back on itself. You start to say, see the nobility in the medieval literature. And the last one I want to recommend is an 11th century Japanese text called The Tale of Genji. And I want to recommend this because the Tale of Genji is quite long, but it's full of little episodes. It's not uh, it's not challenging reading in content, it's just challenging in terms of length. So if you are doing the summary, just I'm leisurely gonna read this over months. Just read five pages here, five pages there, you know, read on the beach. I think it'd be a delightful way to read the tale of Genji. And if you happen to read All three of these, you know, you'll have really gotten a good smattering of different things from all around the medieval and early modern medievalist world. So Nina, do you have anything to recommend for summer reading?
1: I do, actually. I don't often like to do this. I am very shy and very humble. But I'm going to pick this time to promote myself. As you know, I am a writer. My books are Icarus and a better spring and i would like to promote those as well you can read them over the summer um, neither one of them are very long. Icarus is a little bit longer than A Bitter Spring. Icarus is a thriller, it has more of a sci fi bend to it. Um, a Bitter Spring is more of a modern coming of age story with more personal themes to it. Both are very different from each other. Uh, I don't write the same type of genre. You can read either by going to my website, which is ninamcnamara.com, and that is spelled N I N A M A C. N A M A R A dot com. And you can also click the link in our show notes. So go ahead, click my website and visit that this summer. Yes.
0: And they are both great reading. I would say that uh, Icarus has a lot more pleasant themes than A Bitter Spring does. So I would say A Bitter Spring. Really? You don't think so? I don't know. <laughs> I thought Icarus was more fun.
1: I would say. I would say Icarus is more fast-paced than A Bitter Spring.
0: Okay. I'm not going to challenge the author (laughs) as to what she thinks is more fun or not. For me as a reader, I thought Icarus was a lot more fun, though it obviously has some... challenging themes to it as well so
1: yeah i like to challenge my readers final thoughts what are your summer plans doc
0: my summer plans are i'm currently in the awesome layer south i'll spend some time in the awesome layer north and get a little bit out Mm -hmm. of the heat here i have a scholarly book that i'm waiting to come back from review and i have a very early fall deadline on revisions so i assume at some point i will get contacted very soon by that publisher uh, who will say, here are the changes we hey, want you to make. And so I suspect I'm going to spend my <laughs> summer fixing the problems with my scarly book, which I'm not going to bother saying the title since it will probably have a finalized new title, but it's about Beowulfing comic books. Uh, so that might be something we can talk about once that book comes out, maybe in the next season.
1: Nice. Speaking of which, my summer plans are to finish my third book, at least finish the rewrites on it. And again, i I have settled on a new title, but I'm not... Revealing that until probably next season, just because I don't want to jinx it. I know as soon as I reveal the title, I'm going to not finish it. So yeah, that'll be my summer project.
0: Yes, we should say that my next fiction book... It had a bunch of characters with names that were just made-up names or portmanteaus of names of people I, I'd known growing up. And then people happened to take those yeah. positions, <laughs> just sort of came into being who, one in particular, is a very, very specific job that someone, only one person in the world can have this job. I named the character after someone I grew up with, and then the person who had that job retired, and someone with that, with the name I somehow prophesied. So I am a great prophet, as you can you see go. from this. Yes,
1: We've come full circle in this episode.
0: <laughs> we have. So Nina, something that our listeners have occasionally asked me is, if you haven't heard from the beginning, sometimes they ask, what's the what and what's the west through hall? And so, of course, the yeah, hwot, let's
1: go over that. Yeah.
0: What mm-hmm. is the first line uh the first word of Beowulf? And it just means <laughs> it means literally what? And it's kind of uh, listen. And west through hall means be hail or be wealthy you you be hail or you be or not wealthy healthy right you be hailer and healthy uh and so it was a it's a way of saying goodbye isn't you know be good i hope everything's healthy with you and so that's yeah. what west through hall means and that's why we sign off that way
1: yes indeed so let us sign off this uh last time for this season and wish our listeners well we'll be back next season with new episodes new fun new adventures Hopefully we'll be able to meet in person again, because it's been over a year now.
0: West Through Hall, Nina. West
1: Thu Hall Doc. West
0: Thu Hall, everyone. West Through Hall, listeners. Pop and Evil was recorded under in the Studio. Hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McMarrell. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. The
1: music is courtesy of Dr. John Ginwright. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash evil. That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash evil. Thank you for listening.
0: Wasn't recording. I'm kidding, of course.